Well, buzzwords, yeah. I mean, controlled power, digital transformation, sustainability, resilience. They all have their place, right? I think overuse, yeah, that, that should tone down the, the overuse. Not going to happen, realistically speaking. But we should be more conscious about how we use these terms. On the other hand, I'd say they express a need, right? It's, 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 there's a hunger, there's a need for something, and then the buzzword comes along, and it's poorly defined, and every point said that is like, yes, that's, that's what I've been dreaming of. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week, my guest is David Strauss. David is the Vice President, Strategic Partner and Enterprise Solutions at E2 Open, the supply chain software platform that enables the world's largest companies to transform the way they make, move, and sell goods and services. David has over 20 years experience working for international supply chain software companies. And since joining E2Open in 2014, he's been focused on working with the company's strategic partners to bring the value of E2Open's best-in-class end-to-end cloud-based supply chain platform. Now, I'm really excited to have David on the show because those who follow me on LinkedIn will have seen that I took part in E2Open's recent European summit, Connect Europe, in Barcelona. And I had a great time and I was able to connect with David and a lot of the guys over at E2Open. And I'm glad that they were able to send someone on the show, especially as we had had so many good chats. So as for the topics that we discussed, I get David's thoughts on data, technology, and how resiliency has become a buzzword in supply chain management and what it actually means in 2023 and beyond. I hope you enjoy. Hey, David, welcome to Transform Talks. Hello, uh, pleasure, privilege to be here, uh, and pl- privilege and pleasure to talk to you again. A bit of a different situation than what we had the last time we were together, because we actually had lunch in Barcelona, so it's a sort of a grayer day for me here. How about you? Same here, slightly grayer, and the food is a lot, lot worse because I'm in Germany, so that's the situation. So, so talking about Barcelona, you and I, uh, well, of course, I was invited to speak at your E2 Open event in Barcelona, which I thought was fantastic. I really enjoyed myself. I, I, I had quite a lot of takeaways take about it. And those of you that are listening uh, who follow me on social media will have also seen that I posted quite a few things there. But I'd like to hear from maybe in your words a little bit, what were your biggest takeaways from that event? Oh, good question. I think a big one is it, the event is called Connect right uh and that's definitely a theme now i've been in this industry literally it's my 20th year and it was always companies like e2open who are connected like who are a platform a network or something like that so it's in my blood and two decades later after only a pandemic and various other disasters the world has realized oh connection is important in the supply chain and that permeated not just the keynotes and the speeches, yours, uh, your discussions, but every ad hoc discussion which I had with people at lunch at, 
at the booth or whatever. It was much more about connection uh, rather than what does this button do? And that was refreshing. That was very refreshing. I think that's a, that's a really good way to put it because as E2Open and I think with a lot of other companies, people see them as just technology providers when in reality there's a whole way of connecting the entire supply chain ecosystem, right? And we saw that all throughout the conversations about there's just so much happening in the supply chain ecosystem right now that you have to connect with your partners, with your suppliers, with so many people in order to make all those wheels turn in the right direction, right? Absolutely. And uh, I know it's stretching a metaphor just a little bit, but if you look at, the, at humans, right, connection is so important. Um, there's um, study after study which says connection, especially in old age, is a massive predictor whether you're going to have a long and healthy life or whether the last years of your life are, are, are going to be suffering. And it's all about human and connection. And that absolutely extends to companies. The ones which were connected, and connected doesn't mean just, oh, I send them an Excel. I really have a bi-directional relationship of trust and respect. The companies that had that with their suppliers, with their logistics providers, with their companies, they were more resilient to these crises, just like you know, humans who have a support network, who have connections, are more resilient. It's, 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 it's astonishing. Uh, well, it's just as astonishing that people haven't realized that it's really come to the forefront. You used a word there, resiliency, and that is also one of the key themes that I saw quite a lot at your event. And I wrote a newsletter recently because I'm worried that resiliency, kind of like just like sustainability, is turning into one of these buzzwords that people love to talk about, but don't necessarily operationalize effectively, right? And so I worry about complacency. I worry about people slipping back into the things about how they used to be. So do you, do you think that the industry has to take some responsibility for the way and, and the frequency maybe in which we choose to use certain words? Well, buzzwords, yeah. I mean, control tower, digital transformation, sustainability, resilience. They all have their place, right? I think overuse, yeah, that, that should tone down the, the overuse. Not going to happen, realistically speaking. But we should be more conscious about how we use these terms. On the other hand, I'd say they express a need, right? It's, 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 there's a hunger, there's a need for something, and then the buzzword comes along, and it's poorly defined, and every point said that is like, yes, that's, that's what I've been dreaming of. What I will say is, um, as opposed to some of the others I've listed, and, and which you know as well as I do, this one has much less of a feel uh, it's much more real, much faster, right? Control Tower took 10 years to get from buzzword to something approaching, something actually put in production. The, the, the conversation which we're having about resilience, which didn't exist four years ago. I've been here. There was nothing. Nobody cared. It's like, how can I get my inventory down? They are very practical oriented. Sorry, I was going to say, David, the reason why is because we were supposedly living in a more stable world, right? And so... The, the post-COVID era or the, the COVID era and beyond is filled with black swan events. It's, it's instability, 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 and disruption. And the board, this was a, a discourse which uh, at the event you, you saw Knut and Radu talk as well. And that, that's very much a, their topic, that, that it's no longer a, a sexy topic because the CEO has read about digital transformation at paper and now go and buy me a pound of digital transformation. Now it's the board and the shareholders who are going to the CEO and say, 
show me what concrete, specific, measurable, actionable steps and investments you are taking about resilience. And the important part for you and I and the discourse, it's not an overlay. Doing this stuff as an overlay means that as soon as the chips are down, it's the overlay is going to be removed as well and people are going to back to doing the old ways, right? You have to encrust this in the philosophy, in the architecture of the company, and that's what I see happening very much. And but, but what's the challenge, though, with that? I mean, because it's still as though I, I feel like I have conversations with people about this, this big resiliency piece, uh, this big sort of, oh, we're trying to make our business resilient. There's a lot involved in that, isn't there? There's a whole lot of work involved in trying to build an agile, resilient business in today's disruptive, you know, cr critical environment that we live in, the VUCA world. Right. Um, um, I'll, I'll go to, because I use another bunch of buzzword, digital transformation there, and I'll, uh, I'll explain why I make that jump. Um, it's always to, to a nerd like me, it's like digital transformation. What's the alternative analog transformation? I used to make that joke, or digital control tower. There's no analog control tower. But in, in retrospect, that was not thinking all the way through. I think the challenge, or I'm convinced actually that the challenge is actually in the analog transformation. The software exists. The software exists in most companies. The data is there. Even the processes are there. But changing the behavior of the analog world, basically setting the company on a couch and say, you know, uh, show me where the digital twin hurt you uh, kind of thing. And, um, and, and really taking them uh, to a new world, uh, changing behaviors, changing ways of approaching things. I'm not going to name the industry once I start talking. You recognize them. But recently, I was in a conversation where they're all about supply collaboration. Everybody is about supply collaboration. Just like connection, it's the extension of connection. Hugely important. And they said, how do we ensure our supplies comply with collaboration? Right? And compliance is, is a thing of power, of violence. Right? And collaboration is one of equals and openness. They didn't get it yet, right? You need to sit them down. No, when we say collaboration, we actually mean bidirectional, right? That, that's still a revolutionary thought. And so, yeah, there, there's going to be some therapy at the enterprise and indeed at the industry level, which is probably going to have to take place over the next de decade, I'd say. And, and you know what? This is something that I think you and I talked about, but also I've referenced it in my, in my session, which is I feel like we are we're living in an era where we have to upend or re-deprogram from certain business models and operating models. We have to unlearn certain things and adapt. That's true resilience in my, in my view, which is not just to do what we've been doing be a bit better, but it's to do what we need to do for the time that we live in. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, the, the basic topic is silos, right? I'm going to look after my KPIs. I'm going to show I get my bonus and that my career flourishes. Well, your logistics department is flourishing, but guess what? Your, your company is going down the tubes. That's not how it works. It, you have to do that within a company, which is already at the, the, the scale we're talking about. Enterprise scale is already hard enough. And then, you know, doing it across industry. Again, uh, how about you go and engage with your supplier as equals? That is that is a mind-blowing topic for most uh, procurement departments whose thing is get me 2% every year, uh, I don't care how, right? That That's just such a different relationship. Um, yeah, so that, a lot has to happen there. My, my opinion is everything I see, the software is actually there. It's about how to get the companies to change the mindset to decide we are actually going to do this change. And, and change is hard, right? Change, change is, is not pleasant, but we're going to have to do it.
Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, and you mentioned things like bonuses. Uh, is one of the ways perhaps looking at the way that we incentivize executives or incentivize people within the existing silos. Is that one of the levers that we can press? Uh, it has to be because, you know, money talks and the other thing. Um, I'm not an expert on that. Um, however, there's a great book called Drive, uh, which I'm sure you know, which is all about motivation. And there's all kinds of studies. And whichever one you read, they all say that the, the, the law of unintended consequences is very, very strong when you look at things like especially financial bonuses and, and things like that. So it's a thing. It, it's definitely a part of the puzzle. In my mind, it's culture. Um, as I said, I've been doing this for two decades. I've had the privilege of dealing with very large companies, and I see companies as organisms, as living things. And if you look at them like that, you start feeling sorry for all of them. Every company above five billion revenue, which I've ever interacted with, was hurting as an organism. It had, it was still suffering the neurosis from a CFO who left ten years ago, which meant that every paperclip had to be signed off. And you know other other behaviors like that, um, and that that's painful to watch. That that that's very painful to watch, and that that's a barrier to transformation. Absolutely. I love the the way that you create the analogy that this is like a uh, that companies are like a microorganism or an organism, and and uh, the the pain points that they have. Now, one of the things that I look at is the fact that from. COVID, to some extent, despite all of the negative that it brought on, it created the perfect environment for the spotlight to go into businesses, particularly the supply chains, and identify the cracks that were starting to show up. Uh, and so it's, it's created the perfect environment, right, to rethink things, to try to build in that resilience and agility and adaptability. Uh, what what do you think is we're going to see in the next couple of years with regards to the redefining of supply chain or the way that supply chains operate? Um, and what we're seeing now already, but the trend is rising. Um, people talk about deglobalization, not going to happen, right? We are too globalized, but uh, it's going to be more balanced, right? So you think about things as nearshoring friend shoring so that and friend there's a human word again let's not just look at the bottom line and the scent and i don't care where it came from let it be a friend a friendly country a, a, a friendly customer so that's happening um as i said i think collaboration we are getting a supplier collaboration uh, inquiries from uh, industries who've never been there before food and beverage right food and beverage didn't care i can get another truckload of tomatoes or 10,000 gallons of uh, sunflower oil. Well, since last March in Europe, sunflower oil is a bit tough, and that has, you'd be surprised how much stuff, how much many products that goes into. So then, you know, um, you want to be in a relationship with a supplier who knows your name and likes you and says, yeah, that other guy is overing, uh, offering me two cents more, but I have a relationship with you which is going 10 years backwards, and I trust you that you will be there. Um, when when the sun is shining again, I'll help you when it rains, and when things are nice, we we still have a partnership. So that um, it's going to be a blurring of the very hard corporate boundaries, which are already there, right? Production, who produces their own stuff, right? And there's a lot of outsourced production, co-packing, co-manufacturing, all of that good stuff, sub sub component. Same with distribution, right? That that's going via partners, the digital channel, all of that. So I think the the enterprise will go from being the, this this gigantic thing with a border around it, which very often has barbed wire around the top, 
to something more like maybe a European country where you can uh, accidentally cost, uh, cross three borders without even noticing, right? That's, that's a dream for the future. Yeah, I would agree with you. I want to I go back to something you said because you talked about technology and uh, technology. you said the technology is there. It's the mindset that's the big issue. But given the fast pace of technological advancement, um, things like AI. I mean, I had a session with uh, Ike LeBlanc and his, and his colleague Freak, uh, Freak who um, talked about uh, a book they wrote with, uh, uh, with regards to ChatGPT. They asked ChatGPT a bunch of planning questions to see whether or not ChatGPT was up to the task. And, uh, well, I won't give away the book, but basically it isn't up to the task. It, it's up to the task in a silo, but not exactly if there's complexities such as different types of industries, etc. So how far can technology take us or how far will it take us in the next couple of years, do you think? Um, interesting question. Chat GPT is one of those that came hard and fast. I, I'm not an expert. I have a lot of friends who are in the field. What I'll say is if you strip away the hype, Chat GPT is trying to predict what an answer would look like. That's different from planning, right? It's trying to predict and it's improving the probability. That looks like planning, but planning is somewhat different. You have a much more quantifiable error margin, your famous MAPE uh, and, and things like that. Uh, so that's the chat GPT side, that, that these things take away the hype and what is it really trying to do and what is the risk associated? Oh, it's going to be wrong only 7% of the time. 7% can, can kill a business, especially if your margins are low. So that's that. On the technology side, um, well, first, the next couple of years are, are tough for everybody. Every one of our customers is turning, if they're not already, but they've pretty much completed their transformation into a recession-ready company. The recession, nobody knows when it's going to hit, has it started. Maybe it's already finished. Uh, how hard, how big, but uh, cash is going to be constrained. Supplies are going to be constrained. Manpower is going to be constrained, and uh, the regulatory uh, authorities in all 192 countries are having a whale of a time coming with, up with new legislation, making everybody's life, life difficult. So the, the, the capital for change isn't there, is what I'm saying there. It's going to be a hard time to find the investment. But um, technology is so much about using what you already have, right? You have pockets of competence in every company, in every department, and then they're disconnected, the famous silos, right? Just plugging what you have in, uh, already into each other and adding a simple layer which opens up the decision process to both sides and the information both sides. Do that across your entire enterprise. That's your transformation. The latest best algorithm which is going to do 0.6% better, that's not when you're at. When the data which the algorithm is operating on is, is outdated by weeks, literally. I, yeah. I had a customer who, who wanted to run SNOP every four weeks, but they took six weeks to pull the data together in 2021, right? Well, but you know what? But I don't think the problem is in, has improved since 20, you know, in, in those years. You look at 2023 and at the heart of almost every problem, apart from culture and mindset or the people element, is this sort of data issue. The fact that we're drowning in data and we don't know how to interpret it. We don't want to interpret it. We don't know where to pull it from, how to pull it. And, and, and really, it is a huge impediment to advancement, in my opinion. So how do we solve that? So the thing about data, I, I hope I'm getting this right, but it's data 
information, knowledge, wisdom. I think that's the way it goes, right? And so people have been, pi and, and knowledge and wisdom, which is what we're after, is the needle in the haystack. What we've been doing with data lakes and big data and all of that is piling up more hay, which doesn't help me find more needles. Um, okay, here the metaphor is going to break down, but the way to actually get value out of data is not to get more of it. You should keep an eye out on quality, but the best thing which will poke out, uh, or the two best things in my mind, which will bring data quality issues to the, to, um, to the surface rapidly and immediately and keep it there. It's, it's not about fixing it once and then it erodes again. One is um, using it, right? So um, purchase pricing data tends to be very accurate because people look at it every day, right? So that doesn't go out of, out of whack. Security data sheets, eh, not so much. Um, so if you use it, it gets better. What gets looked at um, uh, gets measured and gets done. And the other one is all about context, right? If I order a thousand, and my supplier promises me three, right? That's a sign of a massive misalignment between the data and the way. Uh, and it, maybe it's as simple as like, oh, I thought you meant three pallets. No, no, <laughs> yeah, it, it, things like that. So putting data next to other data is much more valuable in uh, making it usable, in making it better than um, clever algorithms, pretty visualizations and, and, and all of that stuff, which is necessary, don't get me wrong. But getting the basics right is is where it's at. And funnily enough, as I mentioned, in terms of transformation, we're going to be short of cash, or companies are going to be looking very tightly at investments, building on things that they already have. That's, I think, where the next couple of years is going to be, rather than which show, you, show me a thing that is shinier than the thing which I already have. I think the time for shiny things has passed. There's already some some uh, sort of early round startups which have just picked up their bags and, and gone back into salaried employment because yeah that hype isn't isn't working anymore now i think i think i think you're right i think it's going to be all about demonstrable value how do we optimize what we're currently doing to demonstrate key value with what we've got because that's what we do when we are in times of recessions in times of difficult problems it really comes down to ROI. And you know what? And I think a lot of things that are wrong with the supply chain are down to not looking too much at the ROI of things. I think it's, um, you know, I had an example of someone talking about optimizing their manufacturing process, and that was fantastic. But by optimizing their manufacturing process in that silo, they increase their costs in the logistics, the warehousing, the, you know, all this other elements. And so there's no one sitting up top looking at the helicopter view of what is the ROI of certain decisions. So I would agree with you. I think that the next few years, probably going to see less of this shiny new object and uh, syndrome and more about the how do we optimize what we've got for value, for, for, for quantifiable return on investment. I, I'm in violent agreement with you. And indeed, we're working very hard to upscale our value methodology internally. Uh, stay tuned on that. I would, from our perspective, ROIs don't mean anything, right, from a software company. I exaggerate. Every customer want, wants them, right? And whatever we give them, they will ignore because they think we're biased. Well, of course we're biased. We want our baby to look pretty. Um, so they'll make their own anyways. However, the level above, which is what's the real value driver and real value to the business, to the supply chain? Does it lower my operating costs? Does it make my people more efficient? Does it reduce my capital cost? Does it increase product velocity? Does it increase customer satisfaction? If it doesn't fall into those buckets, 
then it's probably buzzword, right? Then you, sh you should probably go and do somewhere else. So absolutely value and uh, results driven, measurable is where it's got to go because, uh, and I hope, I genuinely hope that you know, the cycles come and go, that after the next cycles, when the budgets open up again, that that philosophy sticks, right? So that, that all that investment doesn't go to the next shiny thing, but it's like, let's double down on getting the basics right. I would agree with you. So David, unfortunately, this is all the time that we have, but before I let you go, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone else on the podcast, uh, which is to talk about a book, any book that you think has had an impact on your life, whether it's a business book, a personal book, uh, anything at all. So uh, best one uh, I have is called Awareness. That's the, the official title or the main title by someone called Anthony DeMello, D-E Mello, also known as Tony DeMello. Um, they re-edited after he died, so now on, uh, you'll find it under Awareness, The Perils and Opportunities of Reality by Anthony DeMello. The man is a Jesuit priest from India who sounds like an anarchist Buddhist. It is, it is very, very opening, uh, questioning absolutely everything, uh, with what it means to be a person, what it means to be a human, what it means to be um, aware and uh, yeah, very, very, very deep stuff and applicable privately, professionally, socially, uh, a very, very good book. Thank you for the recommendation. And thank you for being here, David. I appreciate you being on Transform Talks. Privilege and a pleasure and see you at Gartner Barcelona in June. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.